Greetings and welcome Reggae Uprising podcast family to another episode. For all of the newcomers, this podcast is all about connecting people of the diaspora through wisdom, understanding and inspiration. The way in which these podcasts achieve this goal is that every week I have a guest who shares their wisdom with us as well as a selection of sweet reggae music to heighten our vibration. Now, for all my regulars, thank you so much for returning and supporting me for another week. I appreciate all of the love you show me so, so, so much. If you or someone you know would like to feature on a future episode, please get in touch with me via any of my social media. So that is Facebook, Daniil Music, Instagram, Daniil Music or Twitter, Daniil Music, where you can also check out my other weekly videos. So I've got Reggae Uprising every Monday and High Vibes Friday every Friday, where you can get a nice little top up of reggae music performed by me. Also, if you hadn't already guessed, as well as being your host, I am a singer, so you can go check out a couple tunes. Right, let's get started with today's guest. First selection out of the seven, it is War Bob Marley. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned everywhere is war it's a war that until they're no longer first class and second class citizens of any nation Until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes. Miss a war that until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race. It is a war that until that day. The dream of lasting peace, world citizenship, rule of international morality. Today's guest is a mindset and resilient coach, as well as author, CEO, founder, and multi award winning international speaker. She is the author of numerous books, such as The Mango Girl, The Single Mother's Diary and The Journey to Purpose, to name but a few. She has shared the stage with the likes of Levi Roots, Eric Thomas and Hollywood's Cheryl Lee Ralph, as well as featuring in The Financial Times, The Sunday Mirror, Huffington Post, The Guardian and on Sky TV as well. I would like to welcome today's guest, Dr. Ava Eagle Brown. Greetings and welcome, Ava. I am so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. How are you? You're more than welcome. I'm very well, thank you. I hope you and your loved ones are too. Um, please, could you tell us the reason for that first selection? I chose that song because right now, 2020, June, in London, 
Look at what's happening around the world with George Floyd being killed with a knee in his neck because of the color of his skin. And just all of the brutality that's happening right now in 2020. And when you look at it, you're just saying, you know, 1865 was a different era. Then, and then we looked at the fact that we had Rosa Parks and Martin and Malcolm and all those people who, who've been here before and still we are here. So I just think until the color of our skin is of no more significance than the color of our eyes, we're always going to have war. But the other reason I chose that, that is that I worked very closely with Sharon Marley. As a matter of fact, I literally was inside that house that Bob Marley, you know, jumped up the stairs and exercised on, on Hope Road in Jamaica. And um, as a Jamaican person, I just think right now where we are in this era, 2020, the song, my relationship with them just makes it relevant in my opinion. So can you tell us more of your experience um, in that household? I'm taking it from from that as I ask all of my guests that your um, heritage is held in Jamaica. I don't know if it's held anywhere else. Can you tell us, I'm kind of giving you a double barrel question um, there. So tell us about your heritage yeah. and tell us about how you came to be in that household. I love the heritage question um, because especially right now I had to be, I've never been uncertain of where I'm from and where home was. Home is Jamaica, definitely. No matter where I roam, Jamaica is home. Um, Jamaica by everything and a way of life. It's not just a nationality for me. It's a way of life. In fact, we just had dumpling this morning <laughs> for <laughs> breakfast. But um, the experience of the house was really good. I mean, it was one where it was mixed with tourists coming and you're trying to work. And then George would be outside in the, you know, in the yard. And sometimes Rita would pop through and any of the children. Um, it was interesting. It was, you know, because we grew up in Jamaica and it was, in some respect, it was normal to just, you know, drive past the Bob Marley's house. It was nothing. Um, but now that I live here and realize that, oh my God, people just get so excited to be there. I think I have a lot more appreciation for it. What was it like for you growing up in Jamaica? Like what are the things that you can remember from your childhood, like that are most prominent to you? The first thing I can remember right now is seeing my children in lockdown and they are so bored because they're in a concrete jungle. Um, had this been in Jamaica where I grew up when I grew up, would have been roaming even if you're in lockdown you had backyards so crazy and bush and trees to climb and birds to try and catch so my most fun memories were just being outdoors and it's become more prominent for me because i have children here in the uk and i see the difference that it does to them so the most fun memories is going to the river catching fish climbing trees literally leaving the house from you wake up and do your chores and not coming back home until it's time for bed or dinner but you know that the community took care of you so you were fine you would have had lunch anywhere you dropped in the community and you are fine that is priceless and now that i see my eight-year-old son bored to death tired of gadget and stuck in the house it really makes me feel sad that i wish we were in jamaica Okay, so it sounded like you had a lot of freedom growing up. So apart from all the freedom and exploring and adventures that you must have had growing up, what were like the traditional meals or routines or, you know, certain days you might do, always did something, um, a family tradition? Um, tell us a little bit about that in your household. Wow. In my, we grew up, I was born and raised in a, in a one-room shack. So let me just get a one-room shack where my mother would take a sheet to separate the bedrooms, right? And um, we literally, one of the things that we did, which was, it's interesting looking back at it now, we didn't have a dining table, we didn't have anything. 
we ate outside on stones. We sit on the rocks outside and ate. In our, we had a makeshift kitchen from corrugated zinc. But everybody would sit down together, especially on a Sunday, and we would sit on those rocks and we would eat dinner together. That's one of the things that we do traditionally. The meals were um, turn cornmeal, which for those who are like Ghanaians, like Gary, turn cornmeal and sometimes with no meat. So my mom would fry up, you know, make her own coconut oil and pour it over it from natural coconut. Or it would be like chicken back, which is like the back of the chicken. Or on a Sunday, they would thrive to really have something good on a Sunday. So it would be rice and peas, chicken, or pork, or whatever meat they had. And the, the chicken would come from, you know, free-range farming. We grew our own chickens. You know, they just roam the place and eat whatever. Um, once you wake up in the morning, you had to clean the house. Like, it was, you in Jamaica, the custom is when, in my days anyway, you had to clean the house. You had to do your chores before you can do anything else. And I remember my mom had this custom where we use red oak, which is a red dye to dye the floor. And you had to shine and clean that floor in such a way that she could see her reflection inside the floor. And those are some of the things that we grew up on. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Um, So can you remember any of the traditional sayings that you were told as a child that you kind of resonate with you more now or you actually say to your own children? Yeah, um, um, you must come out of people's adult, adult conversation. Um, children must be seen and not heard. Um, All the things you probably um, didn't um, like when you was a child, right? Yeah, my mom used to tell us <laughs> that. You must be seen and not heard. And I say that to my own children now, or things like, um, you know, a lazy man do the work twice, you know, things like those. And um, it's interesting because I say these things to my children now and they're still so relevant. And I understand what my mom meant when she was trying to tell me them. Okay, wow. Um, We're going to move on to your next selection, which is A Little Cottage in the Grill by Dwayne Stevenson. Why did you choose this selection? I love Negril. Of all the places, Negril is like my most fun place. Like, I really just love Negril. I love love the fact that it's not complex. You know, it's just one road in, one road out. I love the little cottages. I love the the beach, the sea. I just love the calmness that it has. I think it is such a calm place in general. I mean, yes, you have the Margarita Vale and whatever, but Negril for me, when I get there, my shoulders drop, and I just feel like they, it tells me it's time to relax, and I just love it. It's my favorite place on the island. Okay, here we go with A Little Cottage in the Grill by Dwayne Stevenson. From a little cottage in the grill 
Now, growing up in Jamaica, did you ever experience any kind of prejudices? For example, in the UK, people um, of African descent would be more likely to experience racial prejudices over here. Was um, there any kind of prejudices in Jamaica that you experienced growing up? In Jamaica, I mean, do you mean around race or just in general? It could be. It could be that you know, um, it's more prevalent over here for people of Africa's African descent to have racial prejudices is one of their more more prominent issues in Jamaica. It might be something completely different because yeah. because of you know obvious reasons. Definitely. Yeah, I had Jamaica has a caste system. Um, CA, you know, caste system like the Indians' caste system. Um, in Jamaica, colorism exists. You might not believe it, but it does. So the lighter you are, I mean, I don't know if that's changed, but when I was growing up, the lighter you were, the the, the more you, you would be appreciated. So, for example, if you had a son, right, and he had a girlfriend and he brought her home and she was really black, there was an issue. But if you brought home a light-skinned girl, it's like, yeah, you've arrived. And so even in the banks, when I was growing up, when I was growing up in the banks, Certain roles, when you apply for them, the lighter you are, the better you were, and you were accepted. And so you might find that Jamaicans, not all of them, but there's this bleaching culture in Jamaica because people have this this damaged psychology, right? And it's damaged that the lighter you are, the better you are. But of course it came from slavery, right? So background master, you know, that whole slave concept around how certain slaves were treated based on how dark they were, which is so ridiculous. Um, has been filtrated down into our generation and has damaged the psychic of some of our people. And Jamaica, um, in some pockets of Jamaica, that still exists. Why Why do you think it's been held on to? Seeing as Jamaicans are so proud and they've always been so resilient uh, when it comes to the colonisation and how they've dealt with it, why do you think that's one of the aspects that's kind of been kept? I don't, do you know what? I'm going to just speak that there's no, no, nothing to hinge this. There's nothing to back this up this is just my concept in jamaica right now um we have a lot of i think we have a lot of different colorism or different people of different colors sorry so you'll find a jamaican german we call it um um colloquially um light skin you know the south side of the island has a lot of light skin people and i just think it's been kept because there's just people who have highest color just seem to get on and seem to have more doors open for them and seem to get more opportunities and I just think it's like classical and operant conditioning. If, if, if the rat tapped the lever and he gets cheese, then he's going to keep tapping that lever. And mm. so I think that if the concept, you only need to brainwash people to believe something. But if people believe that, if, they, if the lighter people are getting opportunities, then naturally, if people are struggling, they're going to want to stay lighter so that they too can be perceived as lighter and, and brown skin and get opportunities. That's my concept. And you... Like, um, did you feel that there was a kind of um, animosity between these different shades, if you want to call it, between these people? Because they were like, oh, you're only getting that because you're light or you you shouldn't expect to get more because you're dark. Like, it's causing, um, you know, um, greater psychological damage again between these people with, with this I... kind of psychology. I think I remember one day when we went to the bank um, as a young girl and my auntie went to the bank and um, the, the teller was giving her problems, right? And 
that through my eyes as a child she was giving her problems and my auntie said something like um you stay there because your brown skin you get the job you're not even qualified let me translate she was trying to say to the girl that the only reason she had gotten the job was because she wasn't qualified is because of her color mm. so i think yes it, it added aggression um i to, to how people were treated and there was this perception that a lot of persons who were in the position that they had, especially when they were brown skin, even though they may be qualified, there was always this notion that they got there because of their color. And also, um, in my own experience, I think I remember dating a, a light skin mixed race looking Jamaican, actually ended up marrying him, but it was quite a struggle because I wasn't good enough, you know? So yes, it, it has impacted and it, it created a lot of emotional trauma for me as a person. It impacted my relationship with with a lot of things that I even, you know, how I look at relationships now. So from my own perspective, I can say, yes, it does. But I know of several other Jamaicans who, um, there's a Facebook group just last week asking this question, does racism exist in Jamaica? And uh, people were, were, were expressing their experience of what they consider racism. And a lot of this came out, the colorism in terms of different shades of, of black or brown and brown and black people. Okay, so from your experience, do you think that um, your partner, he had like um, the subliminal messaging, he had it within his subconscious and maybe he would say things or act in a way and he wasn't even aware of where that kind of came from and that's, you know, that's where those um, thought processes kind of came from? Is that your experience? Absolutely not, no, absolutely not. He was, he was, he didn't see and he saw me. He saw me. And um, he was nothing like that at all. I mean, in the in the end, his family came round, but he was never like that. No, definitely not. Oh, so his issues with were within his, like his say his no, mother and father him, or his family, family rather than him himself. It was his family, not him. Right. Okay. 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 Yes. Okay. But there was also there's other the other thing of, so he was middle class and I was the from the grassroots as well. So it was compounded. It was right. compounded with grassroots poor girl one room shack to this person who his parents had petrol stations and supermarket and his father is the most worship district grandmaster in the lodge and you know they're rich right right didn't know all of this at the time so i'm saying this now i didn't know all of this then but um he was rich you know um and i was poor um and i mean dirt poor i mean sleeping on mattress where you know the, it's urine infested and the and the springs were coming out for us and and here is this young man who is from middle class jamaica where his father is a justice of the peace and you know quite rich you know so we we had that compounded with the fact that he's he's of scottish descent you know it's it, light-skinned scottish background jamaican guy um you know it was compounded for me but he was an absolute no he wasn't there for him at all Okay. Um, well, we're going to move on to the next selection because it feels like the perfect time for this selection. She's Royal by Taurus Riley. Now, can you tell us why you chose this selection? You should see my face because I just smiled. I love that song so much. I love that song because a number of things, like I think it's so relevant again, 2020, so relevant that as a black person, you know, we need to stand in the power of who we are and just um, be, you know, conscious that as black African descent, African extraction people, we are so beautiful. I chose that because 
Um, some of those you might know, some people don't know. I speak all over the world. And I remember speaking in a particular country. And I used to wear wigs. I hated wigs. Um, but I was married to a Nigerian. So this is my second marriage. I was married to a Nigerian. And he just thought I was too plain. So as you do, you try to please your husband. Well, I wish I hadn't because we're divorced now. But anyway, let's move on. And um, trying to please your husband, trying to make sure, you know, you appease what, what, what he likes. So I started wearing weaves and weave on. And I hated them. I absolutely hated them. And I remember I was, I was in this country about to speak on stage. And my son was on my hip because I had my son everywhere I went. And he was holding on to my wig. And it was about to fall off. And I thought, I've had enough of this. I'm not doing this anymore. So I got up, came back to London a few months later, started just, you know, canering my hair, wearing my afro. And then I, I, I started wearing dreadlocks. I have dreadlocks now. And I just realized that I'm such a beautiful person. I don't know why I even went into that phase. I'm not against anybody who does. I don't pass judgment. But I just realized that sometimes we don't realize how beautiful we are and sometimes when we are so drawn to adorn ourselves with so many aesthetics and other pieces, we, it's because there's inner work that needs to happen. Um, just in the COVID period, I saw something and I was like, oh my God, there, there's some damage there. There were some women who could not handle the lockdown and they wanted their nails done. And they went to this door of somebody and pushed their hands through the letterbox to get their nails done. I'm thinking that is messed up, right? Mm -hmm. So... I love that song because it's just affirming who you are and reminding you that your beauty radiates from within and that you don't need anything to adorn yourself to be pretty. Um, and that's why I love this song. I love Tyrus Riley. I think he's powerful. I think he's amazing. And I'm glad he's from Jamaica. Okay, here we go with She's Royal, Taurus Riley. Natural beauty, you know. No, I've never been someone shy Until I seen your eyes Still I had to try Yeah Oh, yes Let me get my words right and then approach you Woman, I'll treat you like a man is supposed to You'll never have to cry No I know everyone can relate to when they find a special someone And she's royal, yeah So royal And I want her in my life I never know anyone So one of a kind, no The way she moves to her own beat She has the qualities of a queen She's a queen, ooh, ooh, what a natural beauty, no need no makeup to be a cutie, she's a queen, she's a queen, and when they ask what a good woman's made of, she's not afraid and ashamed of who she is, she's royal, yeah, so royal, and I So one of a kind Until the night that I see you rise 
can you tell us a bit more about your transition um, from moving from Jamaica to the UK? What would you say were the pros and cons of both places for you culturally, financially and spiritually? Oh my God, it sounds like you're reading my mind. I'm thinking that I want to go back to Jamaica. Like, no joke. Like, I'm sitting here thinking, I want to go back to Jamaica. Let's talk about the transition. Um, the good things. I came here because I felt like I would have been safer. When I came here initially, I felt safer. And now I don't feel so safe anymore. And I'm going to just, I'm going to do a jump and a dance here with this answer. I question an answer. And just this week, so we're talking about June 2020. Just this week, I was on the road walking with my son, a black boy, and we felt uncomfortable. We went to the park. I decided not to drive. I wanted to walk, and I became so conscious that we have a race issue right now, and I'm a black girl. So that makes me feel uncomfortable. When I came to London for the first couple of weeks, I was shocked. I was shocked that. I was moving from a house that had ensuite bathroom for every room in the house. We had a living maid. We had a nanny. I And this is going to sound really horrible. Okay, and some people will criticize and judge me, and I, and I get that. The most I did when I, you know, as a professional was cook for my husband when I wanted to, when I felt like. Um, read my, my son, my daughter at the time, bedtime stories and bathe her sometimes. We, I was a career woman and we really had help, house help, right? But I also realized that when I came to the UK, that was not going to happen. The rooms were tiny. Oh, my God. Power shower was a luxury. And a house with garden costed more. I couldn't believe that. Like, even now, I just haven't gotten my head around that. Um, woman drinking on the street, being drunk and vomiting. No, absolutely not. That was a shock for me. People not saying hello to each other, you know, you know, your neighbor, you could not even know your neighbor's names. Those are some of the things that shot me. But also, and I tell you this from a place of genuinity, I've been here almost 20 years and I've not been able to have the quality of life I had when I became an adult, a working class adult in Jamaica. 20 years almost later, I still haven't got the same quality of life. We had two cars we had four cars in the house. We had a weekend car and we had a work car. We, 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 we were comfortable. We were very, we were young, rich Jamaica. And my husband and I, we had money. We were comfortable. We weren't struggling. We were happy. We, we felt free. We had family and community. In the UK, we don't have community. We don't have a lot of family. The quality of life is not there. I feel safer. And in a lot of ways, um, I feel that there's more activities and amenities for my children and, and I to, 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 to take part in. And also Europe is accessible. But if I were to trade them now, if I'm perfectly honest, I'd rather go back to the simplicity of lacking amenities and a better quality of life with family. So how do you feel that it's affected, for example, like your health in terms of the different foods that are available here versus Jamaica? And um, in terms of your children's schooling, did your children do their education in Jamaica or here? Or So, okay, let me start with the first part. My health, I feel that I eat... Now that I'm more conscious, um, I think I eat better now in terms of being in the UK. In Jamaica, I ate better because the foods were not so chemicalized. We, I was just talking to a friend of mine before I came on this call. We would 
have a backyard garden. I think every Jamaican has one in some shape or form. And so our, our, our fruits and vegetables mostly came from your back garden. Um, and even when you bought them, you could tell that most of them were organic. So I ate better and more healthily in terms of chemical foods and, and, and GM foods. Um, my health, I think that my health is more impacted here because I've never been distressed. The stress levels that exist here in the UK are just crazy. And I think you don't realize it until you actually step out of it sometimes and go like to the Caribbean or, you know, go on holiday or you get sick and you have to take time out. The stress levels are crazy. In terms of schooling, one of my children is born here. So he was born here. This is all he knows. My daughter went to school in Jamaica and we, we were, he, she went to private school. So we were able to pay for education. Um, although I think that education should be, you know, the quality should be the same across the board. But in terms of what she learned um, versus England versus Jamaica, I would have preferred Jamaican education system any day. Um, in 2008, I think we went back to live in Jamaica and she did her year six there and she really didn't want to come back to the UK. So academically, I would have preferred Jamaica by far, by any standard, definitely. Because I taught here in the UK as well. I taught in UK schools and no, I'd have wanted my children to be educated in Jamaica. Why is that? What's the difference between the two, you know, what they teach that you feel is so much more beneficial in Jamaica? I don't think it's just what they teach. I think it's children's attitude to education. So in Jamaica, children want to learn for the most part. They understand whether it's a struggle or whatever. We understand that education is a passport out of poverty or education is valuable. We, we value education. Um, compared to a lot of schools here, especially schools that I taught in, so I can talk for myself and some of my colleagues. Um, you know, Jamaican kids, it's, it's, it's a joke in my household because um, my, my kids want to go back to Jamaica. My kids want to live in Jamaica. Um, in Jamaica, children will pull a, like a, a, a pulley that they, you know, the older people take to the shop. They, they'll pull that with their books to school, no joke. In England, some kids will come to school with not all they come with in their bag is their mascara, their mobile phone, and their cigarette lighter. Not all of them, so I'm not stereotyping everybody. Um, or they come to school and their homework is not done. Um, I'll give you a typical example. When I taught in schools a few years ago, I had a child who didn't do her homework. And I called the mother. And I really called because I'm expecting support, right? Her answering machine alone made me realize there was no point in continuing, right? It talked about, it gives you an option if you're the teacher and there was something left for you etc etc or kids who show up at school and from the parents drop them in year seven you never see them again in jamaica you call a parent to say a child didn't do a homework whether they're from the ghetto or they're from upper class that child is gonna is gonna have the parents and the teacher has got partnership it's not always the case here but also in jamaica i just feel that especially in the free schools here i just feel that teachers back home are a lot more compassionate and caring. It's not just a job to pay their bills. In England, I sat in the staff room and saw so many teachers who were just there because it was to pay the mortgage. In Jamaica, the majority of teachers, and I will stand on that even today, do it because they care and they love and they want to see their, their country do better. Okay, with that, we're going to move on to your next selection, which is I Can See Clearly by Jimmy Cliff. Why did you pick this selection? I'm a life coach, and um, 
my life journey and story has been very tumultuous. I've been through so many things um, for myself, homeless and a lot of other things. And every now and then, um, when I want to remind myself or motivate myself or when I get a little bit of, of hope and, and I get a little bit of success or I, I complete a task or I, I, I kick down a barrier I, and I'm stuck again, I remind myself of how far I've come. And so I will put in Jimmy Cliff and I will sing it and I will dance. And I, it just reminds me that nothing stays stagnant and that the dark that I'm going through right now is going to pass eventually. And that's why I chose that song. Here we go with I Can See Clearly, Jimmy Cliff. I can see all. last selection um you did touch on a couple of adversities you faced can you tell us a little bit more about the adversities you've faced throughout your life and how you've overcome them oh my god do you have time i'm right i'm gonna start right here i'm writing a book now called 32 books actually i'm in the middle of writing two books because i write um i'm writing a book and you can see it on my facebook page actually i'm writing a book about sexual abuse for in children and um, I made my little character a little black girl, right? Um, a ballerina, but she's black. And I made sure she was black. It was important for me. And it's for all children, but I just chose a black character because when other people make books, they choose their characters and we just have to buy them if we want or not. So I, I write about sexual abuse because my father abused me as a young girl and I was abused heavily um, as a young child. And I believe that if there was education around that, then probably I could have been spared or I would have understood what was happening. Um, I'm also writing a, a poetry book, which I've never dabbled in poetry. However, I feel that um, I was driving home the other day and I just realized it, it just came over me that I lived in 38 places in my life. Um, and that's a lot, right? Um, however, I'm still standing. I'm, I'm very strong. It, it doesn't, you know, I'm not, it hasn't impacted me in a very, very negative way because I have the tools and the skills to overcome and deal with them. So I'm writing a book called 38 Places I Laid My Head, a poetry book. Um, and that's going to come out hopefully by the end of the year or early next year because I'm taking my time. But um, that really is looking at some of the struggles. You know, that I was homeless. I was sexually abused. 
I was raped at gunpoint. You know, I've been through a lot. Um, two failed marriages. Um, one was because I think my I think my husband only married me then for a British passport. Um, but through it all, you know, still I rise. I am a very strong and resilient person. I I have a faith. I'm I'm Christian. I believe that, you know, God loves me and He He always is looking after me. But I also believe that I sold mangoes on the train as a child. Um, I was the breadwinner for my family very early. And I believe that through that, I learned some tenacity and resiliency that I could not have had. I keep saying that if I grew up in the UK, they probably would have sectioned me a long time ago because very often I meet people who say, um, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. I'm not sure how you haven't you know, lost your mind already. I'm not sure. And so I look at that and I just think that we can be, we can go through anything, but we don't have to make what we go through define who we become and how we, we rise beyond them. Most definitely. So where do you think you, I know you said you, you're Christian, so you must draw your strength from God, but is there any other, um, any other practices you, you go through in order to, when you're yeah. feeling low or you're feeling low on energy that you kind of infiltrate to bring yourself back up again and re-energize yourself? Yeah, I've got two beautiful kids. Um, they're my why. My children are very important to me. Um, they're, they're everything. They're my everything and they're important to me. And um, they really keep me going. There's a book by Simon Sinek that says start with why. They are my why. But also, um, I dig deep into myself, and I believe that I have inner strength that I believe I, I, I exercise in terms of my breathing. I read a lot. Um, I write a lot. I journal. Um, I love helping others. So I'm a life coach and a book coach. So when I help other people, it just makes me feel good. Like I had somebody I was coaching on Thursday, and she was crying at how much help I was giving. In the session, she cried. That makes me, keeps, make me, it makes me go on because it makes me think that, oh my God, this is, is so valuable. I just completed a seven day book summit. And, you know, when I have a psychologist say, thank you so much for helping me to amplify my voice, it just made me remember that what I'm doing is not in vain. So I, 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 I have my own little strategy, but among the ones that I, you know, I do often is I journal, I read, I meditate. I journal, I read, I meditate, I pray. I talk to some of my friends. I have a coach that I go to. I call her my doula. I offload on her and my children. And those are some of the things that keep me going. Okay, wow. Um, we're going to move on to your next selection, which is Spanish Town by Chronix. Why did you pick this one? Oh, my God, I love Chronix. But my daughter is, my daughter went to the British Music and um, Music Institute, BMI, and... Um, she introduced me to Chronic. She studied music, and she's always singing. Um, you know, she's a little. I'm from a little place called Spanish Town. I think I love it because, you know, when you think of you know Chronics and his music and just how conscious and clean his music tend to be, I love that. But I love Spanish Town. Spanish Town was the first place that I made my biggest sale when I was a salesperson for Cable and Wireless. I sold the front cover of the Yellow Pages. It was $1.2 million. i never forget. We're talking about 25, 25, 27 years ago. That was a lot of money in Jamaica. As a matter of fact, while we're on the topic, um, it was not until a couple of years ago I was able to make 
the amount of money equivalent of what I was making in Jamaica when I came here, you know, 20 years ago. And so that happened in Spanish town, Berger Paints. I never forget that. And that for me is, um, is something that brings me joy. And Spanish town is colorful. It has its bad, bad parts, but it's such a nice place to go sometimes and eat fish and hang out. And, you know, when I used to drink a red stripe, have a red stripe and it has fun memories for me. And it, it helped me to build my first house. So, yeah. Okay, here we go with Spanish Town Chronics. Give them a new style. A spurling in a me good is well physical. Well, I'm offering Papa Chronics microphone official. Me read me Bible every day. I'm somewhere well biblical. I meditate in the morning, somewhere well spiritual. I said the original Chronics representing from prison over. Live and direct, came me now. I grew up in a place called De La Vega. De La Vega. Sirena, bring your little picnic and my lyrics them clean No cigarette, no day I just strictly the green No send no alcohol, no day I just strictly spurling I'm a afraid bring my woman cause a royal regime Remember said the king of kings done crown with the queen Oh, me fell left my woman and a sprawl with machine And me can't dance with no M16 Can't wind me good deep on the old 14 And I'm a friend Papa Granix and a royal regime Come! Push up your and them and the royal redeem Come, hug up your woman and the royal redeem Well, all the muffin max gazer and the royal redeem And the one can is him and the royal redeem Well, all the whole federation and the royal redeem And the whole of Brooklyn Now, please, can you tell us about the journey to writing your first book? How did that all come about? Wow, The Mango Girl is my first book. As a matter of fact, everything I do is called The Mango Girl. Um, my first book came out of an accident. <laughs> I didn't know who my father was, and um, I made the mistake and asked my mom. And in Jamaica, right, when I was growing up, you dare not have certain conversations, which I think is wrong, by the way. And my children are very self-expressed, and if they grew up in Jamaica now, People think they're rude and feisty and whatever, but I didn't want them to be like how I grew up. Um, So my son would say, Mommy, no, that's not right. I didn't like how you talked to me. And I I really encouraged them to be like that. And so when I asked my mom who my dad was, she gave me a really strong beating. Um, Seriously, it it was what you guys over here would call child abuse. Because how dare me question an adult? And when she did that, I literally started writing. I got angry. I wanted to know. I had questions and I needed answers. And my mom wouldn't give me. So I started writing this makeshift diary. And I would hide it underneath stones in a carrier bag and stuff like that. And as my experiences grew, I just kept writing. And when I moved to the UK and experienced my first bout of racism, we're talking about 19, no, 2006 it was. My first bit of racism, I was living in Mitcham Road and I bought this um, 
with my first flat actually i was really excited but my first flat had just come i just i was here 2002 or 2000 thereabout bought my first flat and i had some neighbors who were in a in a in a were in a masonette and my neighbors were really horrible and they had these rottweilers and they we had to share a common step to go upstairs and i was a teacher at the time i was teaching they didn't work they would have parties until four o'clock i couldn't sleep um they would let the rottweiler in the stairs i couldn't pass and i remember my son my daughter had an asthma attack and um we couldn't come out because the dog was in the stairs and she nearly choked to death and we had to sell that flat and move and it was in that moment i thought no there have to be other people who are going through this experience so i had my you know my makeshift diary and i shared my story with people and they're like no man you need you need to you need to share that story and then i was doing my masters at the university of wales and i was working in an, in an, in a in a company a few years later and uh, my boss was racist he was very discriminatory i was the most qualified person on my team i was making the most sales however i was overlooked for promotion constantly and then i was i went to norway to do some work for the company and whilst i was in norway i did not finish one of my assignments for uni and i just thought you know what i was going to be lazy and i thought you know what i'm going to write about myself because that's all i know so i wrote about myself and got called in um to to coventry for a meeting and i was like oh my god i'm in trouble i'm going to fail by this time i was married and my marriage was giving me problems so i just couldn't handle all of the stress i had a young baby um which is my son i'm working this job my marriage is a disaster and here am i being called up into uni so i went to coventry and sat in the meeting and they were just really curious long story short of if this story that i wrote about myself was true and i was like yeah and when i realized that it was it was all about the story they said oh my god we'd love to do a case study on you and i was like really and they're like yes yeah. so a quick 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 after that quickly after that the story was written about the case study was done and then the financial times said they wanted to feature me and so when the financial times featured me my friend said to me Ava you've been writing this book for a long time or this information it's time to write that book and that's how I wrote the book I gathered all of those little makeshift diaries and I wrote the first book which is called Bamboo and Fern which is now called The Mango Girl which just got optioned to become a feature film and um yeah that's how I started it's long but that's how I started Wow, so it's kind of evolved over time and now it might be a film. Like tell us more about how yeah. that came about. How did that? So I believe in the one of the things I teach my clients is the power of visualization. And um I really am big on visualizing what I want. Like I keep saying I want to go to Jamaica to live and I keep every day I say it, like literally I'm like we're going to go to Jamaica to live. We're going we literally say it every day. Um and I believe that the universe responds to movement. I think when 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 you are ready the universe will find everything you need so i wrote when my husband my ex-husband left i wrote a diary i started doing a journal and i did a 21 day a 31 day journal in 2014 into january 2015 and i published the journal and inside the journal i stuck this like an advert an advert inside of it and i said one day my life is going to become a film if anybody is interested who read this book contact me like it was not even a joke it was just like that right and 50 copies of those books were printed i didn't i don't even have a copy myself and somebody um saw it and nominated me for an award 
I went to the award. I met somebody who was involved in Pirates of the Caribbean, and it kind of went down that route, and that's how that's how it came about. If I'm honest with you, it's long, but that's the route it took: visualization and and being actionable. Wow, it just shows that you know things that people think are impossible are always possible if you have the belief in yourself and, yeah. and in your dreams. Most definitely. Um, yeah. We're just going to move on to your next selection for now, which is They Don't Know, another chronic song. Why did you pick this one? Wow, okay. So I took a deep breath at that one because that song has so many reasons that I chose it. Um, I could start by the fact that I live in the UK and I'm a single mother with, with two children. One has got mental health challenges. Um, one's 22, one is eight. I have a huge gap. And I have no family support. So I have childcare issues constantly. It's a daily struggle for me. Even in, in lockdown right now, it's a struggle because I'm self-employed. I'm trying to work from home. I've got an eight-year-old whose school has not bothered to do anything much. And so he's locked into this house and there's not much he can do. So he hasn't seen a child to play with except for one in 10 to 11 weeks. Now, that's, that makes you think they don't know how you're feeling, sad because people see you on Facebook and wherever they think, oh, my God. She's so successful. And that might be true, but there are other bits to my life that are challenging. The other thing I could think about is the fact that I live in a country where my family and I love them very much, but people tend to think that you are so rich that you can just give everybody something. And sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes you're really just building a foundation to make sure that you can then accelerate the growth to help everybody else. But also I have a big family, so I can't help everybody. They don't know because a lot of guys, um, especially guys who are attracted to me, believe that, well, because I have this perception that she's successful, I'm not going to come close to her. So I end up being a single woman and have been this way for a while. And it's frustrating because many guys I even talk to are like, no, no, you're out of my league. No. So that's really, really hard. And just overall, the, the, the longing to be near to my family, the... The fact that my children are growing up without their grandparents and their aunties and their uncles, those things hurt. Immediately, right now, where we are in terms of this whole race thing in 2020, a lot of people don't know how it feels to be seen by your color first and not be seen by your possibilities and capabilities and who you are. And that hurts. Um, that hurts. Because ultimately, um, whether you are middle-class black or lower-class black or you have white friends, your color is never going to change. So that really hurt. And the last thing I want to say is I just love this song. I think the song is one of those songs that sometimes when I'm in my space of feeling like I wish I could show the world all of my pain. but And, and, and that would would eliminate some of the things that I go through in terms of perception. And I just have to quietly say, as my mom said, you can't show all the dirty linen in public. And so the song they don't know is one that my kids and I will sing. My daughter, especially when she's struggling with her mental health, is one of the songs she sings a lot. Um, and she tells me, you know, mom, you don't understand how I feel inside. And um, that song represents all of that for us. Okay, here we go with They Don't Know okay. Chronics. Ooh, ah, 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 ah
performance Enough people see me life and one one But them no know say more time it look diamond And them no see say I'm me belly me a crawl pan Cause my mama just got me with tears in her eyes She never know me have a stage show tonight Not even she see the fears in my eyes But me just a go and put on the show Cause they don't know sharing all of your wisdom and your inspirational story because your story is extremely inspirational for our listeners and I'm so so thankful that you took the time to share it with us today. What I would like you to do before we play your last selection um, is to let us know um, the works that you're that you might have done that we don't already know about and your future works that you intend to do and you know, any services that you might offer that people um, might be able to contact you for and how they can get involved with you as well. Thank you so much. I, I've done such a, I've so much work. It's, it's crazy. Um, I'm going to highlight one of the pieces I did was I was the first person to do a black um, book tour in the UK and we made the blacklist. I, so I'm really proud of that piece. I have a piece on, on Amazon Prime, my first cinema cinematography piece. I did a, a, a mini documentary called The Single Mother's Diary, and that can be rented on Amazon Prime. Um, I speak all over the world, so I speak, and, and even now I speak in terms of on Zoom, because we can't go up, but we speak. I train. I do book writing. Um, so starting next week, Tuesday, the 16th of June, I'm starting a book writing masterclass. It's a six-month program, and the focus is on helping people to do exactly what I did. All I did was write a book, and teaching people to write a book, not just a story, any book and use that to be a business. So it doesn't matter what you want to write about. We can show you how to write that into a business. So that's a six-month course that's starting. So people are still welcome to come. Whenever they hear this, it doesn't matter. We have them ongoing. I also help people to start businesses, to sit down with you and, and give you a blueprint, especially now, especially right now, when we are going to lose more jobs with the projection that we're going to have another wave of COVID. We need to be looking at how to start businesses and to use the skills that are in, are in our hands. And the other piece of work that I did, which is um, which is something that I'm really proud of, is a piece that I've done with Eric Thomas, who's a hip-hop preacher. And I currently do a lot of um, philanthropical work with helping women who are whether victims of domestic violence, you know, sexual abuse, self-confidence, all of the things I've been through. I have started my own non-for-profit, really just working with women to help them rise and live above that. So that's kind of like what I do right now. But my latest project, which I'm so proud of, is that I've created my own brand of hair and skin line called, guess what, The Mango Girl. And we just won our first award um, in our first year for the best handmade um, hair and skin product. And we're launching our facial range in another couple of days. So I'm just excited about that. So yeah, themangogirl.com, that's where we hang out. Perfect. And um, I have some links. So all you guys need to do is look in the description um, for all of those things that were just spoken about. We're going to move on to your final selection, which is Babylon System by Bob Marley. 
Why did you choose this? <laughs> oh, God. I just, you know, I think they murdered Bob Marley because, boy, I think, you know, I think, I think especially, again, I go back to right now, 2020, June 2020, London, the world, America, when you look at it, when you look at the fact that they murdered Malcolm X, they murdered Martin Luther King, you know, murdered all of the great civil, most of the great civil rights activists, people were trying to show us what the system was about. I just can't help but believing that Bob Marley was murdered. But um, I chose that song because Babylon's system is a vampire, man. It's, the system is designed against us. It's, it's so designed against, designed against it's, it's running against the wave of a black man. I just feel that the system is so unjust, 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 whatever the correct word is right there. There's an, a, a level of injustice. We are dehumanized, criminalized, you know, um, you know, every kind of allies when you think about the black man, I just think that they, they just suck out the blood of us day by day. They have us, we're the laborers, you know, we, we are, when you look at Africa, who has some of the most resources, Nigeria is rich in oil, but they don't have proper electricity because the, the, the Babylon is down there taking out all of the resources out of Africa. And then you look at that and you just think, how did the system get so warped against us? How did they get us to be so divided? You know, so in my opinion, that song is fitting because right now I'm living and witnessing the Babylon system at work. So again, Bob Marley, wherever you are, I wish you were here. If they didn't murder you, but your work lives on. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for sharing, like I said earlier, your wisdom, your inspirational story and empowering all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. My you're, pleasure. You're more than welcome. We're going to leave you with this final selection. I hope you all enjoyed the rest of your week, Reggae Up Uprising podcast family. And um, you'll hear me again, as you always do, next Wednesday. As always, blessed love. What you wanted us to be We are what we are That's the way It's going to be